1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: And sometimes when you and I are just pressed with a heavy load and and we need the help of God, it's a good time to take off for Laguna Mountains or for Ocoteo or for Borrego or for El Centro, wherever, just to get into that Psalm 121 spirit of my help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. You know, the Jewish people at that time, they realized the value of having special places of prayer away from it all, away from it all. So the Jewish people had these places of prayer at that time. They called them oratories, oratories. And they were built outside the city usually where people could go to pray. They were built on hillsides or in valleys or along banks of rivers. And that's what we see in Acts sixteen thirteen. Acts 16, 13, where it says, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. That was one of those places. That was an oratory. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So when it was time for him to make this choice, about which disciples he would call to be apostles. He goes out into this mountain and continues there all night, all night in prayer. Not just a simple, Father, please show me who I've got to choose as apostles. He spent all night in prayer, all night in prayer. And when we see the Lord doing that, it raises a question in our mind. The question is, wait a minute, I don't get it. Since he is God, why does he need to pray? And the answer is because he's man. He's man also. And as man, he ate food to stay alive. And God doesn't need to eat food to stay alive. And as a man, he prayed. So we see him here on this mountain. He's spending all night in prayer. And then when we see that, then we think that later on, he teaches in Luke 18.1. Luke 18.1, he says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And we can almost see him saying, men ought always to pray, not to faint. And then we can see him saying, and I, I do, I did, I do. Okay, now, we look at verse one. There are two very important words that are used in verse one that describe this calling of these disciples to become apostles, and it's Matthew 10.1, Matthew 10.1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples. Those are important words, unto him, unto him. They're important because, and especially that unto him is emphasized in the parallel passage of Mark, Mark 3.13, Mark 3.13, the other parallel passage, it says like this, and, and just listen all the time, it says unto him. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So from that passage, it couldn't be more clear where they were called unto him and they came to him and their destiny was to be ordained to be with him. See, before their calling to be apostles, their calling was to him, but before their coming, they were with him. But now it was all different and now it was special because now there's an emphasis that they're called to him, they're coming to him and they're ordained to be with him. And in the way this is structured in this verse here in Mark 3, 14 through 15, this unto him is a requirement for that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. In other words, from this passage in Mark 3, 13 through 15, it makes it clear that those apostles saw themselves as being called to him, as coming to him, as being ordained to be with him, and unless they saw their lives essentially tied to being with him, he could not send them forth to preach. They could not have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And this is the downfall of many an able preacher and teacher. The downfall of not seeing their life work, their life work, as being with the Lord Jesus. The downfall of many an able preacher and teacher is that they see their life work as preaching and teaching as opposed to seeing their life work as being with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what made Pastor Jim Mater get so right. This is what he got so right in life. He used to spend three hours in prayer. We're walking up and down this little hallway here. Three hours in prayer, particularly for the Jewish people. He didn't see his work, his life work, as being a preacher from this pulpit. He didn't see his life work as being a missionary to the Jewish people. He saw his life work as being with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where the church of Ephesus got it wrong. This is where the church of Ephesus went so wrong when it says in Revelation 2, 1, Revelation 2, 1 through 6, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and has tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Which I also hate. Okay, now I want you to picture this. Let's say that you have just moved to Ephesus and you've arrived in Ephesus and you're looking for a church. You're looking for a place where you can become a part of a group of believers. And let's say that you've come to this fellowship of the church of Ephesus and you want to know more about it. So you walk in there and you start to ask some questions. You find somebody who's in the know in the church there at Ephesus, and you say, so what is your church all about? And you say, what are the distinctives of your church? What makes your church, well, how do you, how do you see your identity? How do you as a church see your identity? So, we know the answers that you, that you would get if you ask those questions, because in Revelation 2, the passage just read it, one answer is that we see ourselves as patient workers for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true about the church from Revelation 2, 2 through 3. Another one would say, well, our identity here at the Church of Ephesus is that we strive to be a holy church. We don't tolerate evil people in our fellowship. That's true about their church from Revelation 2, 2. Another person would come up to you and say, well, we are the church of truth and good doctrine, and we weed out anyone in this group that's teaching falsehood. That's true about that church from Revelation 2-3. Well, we are the church that hates what God hates. That's true about that church from Revelation 2-6. This is what the church of Ephesus was all about. They were all about patient working for the Lord, being pure from evil, adhering to truth, and holding on to good doctrine, hating what God hates. All of that was true, but and when God looked at this church, God said, the church of Ephesus is a fallen church. That's what God said in Revelation 2.5. He would say, the church of Ephesus is a church that needs to repent. That's what it says in Revelation 2.5. He would say, the church of Ephesus is a church that I am against. That's what it says in Revelation 2.4. He says, the church of Ephesus is about to lose their prominence as a church. That's what he said in Revelation 2.5. Now, we see what the church of Ephesus says about themselves, which is true. We see about what God says about the church of Ephesus, and we say, huh? I don't get it. What's wrong with a church that patiently works for God, that is pure from evil, that adheres to truth and good doctrine, that hates what God hates? What's wrong with that church? How can there be such a disconnect? between how you and I see the church and how God sees that church. How exactly is that church, a fallen church, a church that God's against and needs to repent and is about to become a losing church? And God says that very clearly, the problem with the church of Ephesus is verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Well, what is their first love? What is their first love that the Church of Ephesus left? It's not what of their first love, it's who is their first love, and the who is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Church of Ephesus left the love of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, left the Lord Jesus Christ as their first love, and in that place of having the Lord Jesus Christ's first love, their first love became patiently working for the Lord. Their first love became being pure from evil. Their first love became adhering to truth and good doctrine. Their first love became hating what God hates. And it was that replacement of those things for their first love for the Lord Jesus Christ that made him, made that church a church that God was against, calling it a fallen church and in need of repentance. And the problem with the church of Ephesus is that is what they didn't see their church is all about they didn't see them their church as mark 3:14 mark 3:14 ordained that they should be with him the problem with the church of ephesus is they didn't see the distinctive they didn't see the distinctive in the church as mark 3:14 ordained that they should be with him they didn't see their identity as mark 3:14 ordained that they should be with him And the problem with that church of Ephesus was that it was not all about Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of Ephesus was all about a first love of working patiently for the Lord, of being pure from evil, of adhering to truth and good doctrine, of hating what God hates. And it was that omission of a first love of the Lord Jesus Christ that made the church of Ephesus a fallen church that needed to repent and that God was against. And that was the great error that the Lord Jesus is trying to prevent when it says in our verse here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, 10, 1, he called unto him in Matthew 3:14, he ordained twelve to be with him. And that's a great temptation for you and I. It's a great temptation for you and I to cast away our first love for the Lord Jesus Christ and replace it with some religious activity or a religious position. And being with the Lord Jesus Christ is our first love it's essential for service as he said in john 12:26 john 12:26 if any man will serve me let him follow me and where i am there will also my servant be it's all about being with him being with the lord jesus christ the first love it's essential it's essential for being sent it's said in mark 3:14 and 3:15 again he ordains the 12 they should be with him that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out devils. It's this being with the Lord Jesus. This was Paul's first love. Paul's first love was the Lord Jesus and it was only when Paul realized that the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ was inside of him, that's when he went out and preached as he said in Galatians 1.16, Galatians 1.16. He talks about, God revealed his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Being with the Lord Jesus, it's so important for us. And we see this, especially also with these two that were walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 32, Luke 24, 32. They said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, while he opened to us the Scriptures, and then a few verses later in Luke 24:45, 24:45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Two men, walking to Emmaus, talking about what has happened, and they're walking on this road, and all of a sudden the Lord Jesus is with them, and the Scriptures—he opens the Scriptures to them. It's a closed book. The Bible's a closed book. Let's face it, it's a closed book unless the Lord Jesus opens it up for a person. It's essentially closed. We can't, naturally speaking, we can't see Jesus on every page, as the hymn says. Beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord, my spirit pants for thee. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. As he said in John 5.39, John 5.39, search the scriptures. For in them you think he have life, they are they which testify of me. To see the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures requires the Lord himself to open up the scriptures, which he does when we are with him, just as he did for the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 45. Then he opened, he, their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Now, he's told the twelve He's told these 12, these apostles now, the harvest is plenteous. the laborers are few. They're being sent now as God's laborers into God's harvest to gather souls. He's told them that. Great work. He's called them called them to himself so he can do this. Now he equips them with the first provision for the work with Matthew 10, 1. Matthew 10, 1. He gave them power against unclean spirits. So that told that told the disciples, who are apostles now, apostles, that this harvest is not going to be easy. It's not gonna be easy. He's telling the apostles that you need to expect opposition, expect opposition, and your opponents are not gonna be what you can see. You can't see them. You can't see your opponents. Your opponents are invisible, and they are unclean spirits, unclean spirits. So the apostles are gonna battle with unclean spirits. They're invisible, they're unclean spirits. And as they battle with them, no surprise, as you battle with them in the harvest of souls that you're gonna have unclean thoughts and you're gonna need to go to the Lord Jesus often to have his blood cleanse your hearts. Because you are fighting against unclean spirits in this conflict And so now the word that's in verse one, which really keys them off to what's gonna happen is the word against. I give you power against unclean spirits, against. You're gonna be in a combat. You're gonna be in a fight. You're gonna be in a wrestle to get these souls, to harvest these souls. So in essence, the Lord is, when he's telling this up front, he's in essence saying, if any of you don't want to get involved in a conflict of unclean spirits, now's your time. You should drop out. And maybe you should just go ahead and move to the Caribbean and sit in relaxing, balming air on a veranda overlooking the sea, sipping your coffee. That's fine. If any of you don't want to get into this fight and instead you'd rather have lunch instead, drop out to the boos and jeers of the angels in heaven. But on the other hand, on the other hand, If you, the Lord is in essence saying to them, if you want purpose in your life, purpose in your life, then you you should stay, not drop out. If you want your life to be used by God to accomplish great things, you need to stay, not drop out. If you want an exciting life full of challenge and wonderful adventure and fulfillment, stay, don't leave. If you want something to show for your life when it's all over, Stay, don't leave. If you want for eternity to have God's statement on you, well done, thou good and faithful servant, then you should stay and not drop out. And so there they were. And those men, they lined up, so to speak, at attention in God's army. They're standing there and and they they might as well sing, you know, I I may never march in the infantry and... (laughs) Ride in the cavalry, shoot in artillery, zoom over the enemy. But I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. You know. So there they are. All right. So now, this conflict's going to be hard, men. In essence, he's going to say to them, because uh, I got news for you: those unclean spirits don't want you to harvest souls out of their kingdom. So we have the word against, against. With this word, he's showing the apostles say, your work of harvesting these souls is going to be directly leveled against the devil and his forces. That's what you're in for. That's the word against. And it's interesting, this word against, because when you look at that in the context of taking on you the whole armor of God from Ephesians 6:11, Ephesians 6:11. just think of how many times it says against there. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a wrestle. It's going to be a conflict. It's going to be a struggle against spiritual force you can't even see. You're going to be fighting against a whole hierarchy of power with these different ranks of principalities, powers, rulers, etc. All right. Now, the next three verses, there, verse ten through four, we're told the the names of the twelve apostles, the names of the twelve apostles, and they're given to us there. And by the way, in verse four, when it says Simon the Canaanite, you may you know you may look at that and say, "What's a Canaanite doing in there?" No. It doesn't mean someone from Canaan. It would mean someone from Cana of Galilee, not Canaan. I wouldn't have done it, but they didn't ask me, so what can I do anyway? <laughs> so here they are. There's 12 apostles. There are 12 apostles, and, and they're all standing up there, you know. And, and, and we look at those 12 apostles and we say, what a motley crew that is. What a ragtag army they look like to take on the mighty spiritual forces of darkness. You gotta be kidding me. This is the army that's gonna conquer all the evil ones? I mean, not one of them. Usually people would say, you know, I'm, Can- I'm from Cana, you know, I- I'm from here. Nobody could say I was from Jerusalem. Not even a No prestigious city. Then nobody from Jerusalem. They're the men. Who are those people? They're fishermen. They're despised tax collectors. They're just common everyday people. Who are these people in his army there? they're not wealthy these were not wealthy men who would have attracted people to them because of their money these were not famous men nobody famous then is a you know it's like a, uh, simon who who would have attracted people because of their notoriety they weren't educated people they weren't educated men who would have people would have been drawn to because of their superior knowledge they weren't particularly wise. They weren't considered wise men who people would have said, well, you know, he's very intelligent. We got to go, go to him. They weren't talented, talented, probably maybe worth fishing, but not for this job of persuading people. They were not talented that, that where people would be drawn to them because of their special abilities. They weren't, nothing says they were particularly handsome men, good-looking men, and people would have gone to them because of how they appeared. They weren't many men of, in a high office, You know, or people would have gone to them because of their rank. They were just common, plain, everyday, more or less honest men. Another wonderful day
1: studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.